Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope coming to you from Columbus, Colin Haas Hill joining us once again this week from Cleveland as we continue our social distancing uh, amid this coronavirus pandemic. We should be we should be previewing a spring game for you right now. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Uh, sports world remains in flux. When will sports return? When will Ohio State football be able to get back on the field? That remains the million-dollar question right now. Unfortunately, not a ton of answers at this point. It would have been interesting because we would have had to balance the show between previewing the spring game and reviewing Ohio State winning the national championship in basketball. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that, this is true. We missed out on a, a Final Four this week, unfortunately. Uh, weird times here for the United States, but you know, hoping that we can all get through this pandemic as quickly as possible and you know as obviously with as few deaths as possible so uh hoping for the best here hoping we'll start to get some more good news as we progress and hopefully hopefully in a few months from now we'll be back to talking about more normal sports stuff but uh we'll, we'll try to get some some sports talk in for you guys here we're still producing lots of content at 11warriors.com uh, Kevin Harris, who wanted us to say hi, he's doing two pieces a day over on the website, and uh, we're churning out stuff. Zach Carpenter is always churning out recruiting stuff, and lots of other contributors as well. Ramsey's got a good uh, My Favorite Things series, looking back at some cool Ohio State moments going right now. So lots of good stuff. We're trying to keep it interesting. I uh, hope the podcast is interesting for you guys as well. And you know, as always, any topics you guys have for us, any questions, let us know, but wanted to start this week by talking some about the uh, roster movement for the Ohio State basketball team. I know we typically lead off with football here on this podcast, but l- lots of roster movement happening for basketball. And you know, the, fir- the first of those moves, Caleb Wesson declaring for the NBA draft, I don't think came as a surprise to really anyone. I think you know, that's been expected for a while. Uh, if he's back next year, he, he he's still eligible at this point to return should he make that decision, but I think everyone's expectation is that he will stay in the NBA draft and he will start his professional basketball career. So that's not a big surprise. Ohio State was prepared for that. Bigger surprise coming on Sunday with Lufer Muhammad entering the transfer portal after two seasons at Ohio State. That's one that I certainly didn't see coming. I don't think you did either, Colin. And uh, continues a trend of transfers for Ohio State that has definitely created some angst among the Ohio State fan base. Yeah, you think? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I will say just from people who are um, commenting and and reading and and, uh, responding to content, let me say, people... When the news initially came out about Luther Muhammad's transfer, um, that was that was quite a response. But you know, it makes sense because I mean, he's a guy who, when you think back to when Ohio State landed him, he was um, the top-rated recruit in Chris Holtman's first full class in 2018, and he seemed like a guy who could be a potential four-year guy, high uh, a guy who could maybe start right away, and that's what he did. He started 56 of 64 games. Um, largely for his defense, and I think his offense was sort of up and down throughout his his two seasons at Ohio State. But even still, 
you know, I, I put together an article which can definitely go into freezing cold takes um, about a week or two ago about, you know, now that the roster's set, here's maybe what it'll look like, projected starters rotation for next season. Yeah, that got thrown out real quick when, when Luther Muhammad uh, decided to transfer because I, I was still projecting him as a starter over Dwayne Washington. And, you know, it's a surprise. I think uh, we'll, we'll certainly delve into um, what it means to the program. Um, but from what I know is um, largely uh, a, a large part of it was just he wanted a, he wanted more offensive freedom. He wanted the ability to do what he wanted to do offensively, maybe a little bit more so um, than what Ohio State necessarily wanted from him. And, and, and honestly, if you take a step back and if you're just going to evaluate that part of it, um, that part of why he's leaving, it makes a little bit of sense in, in the fact that he had the second lowest shot rate last season. So that just means when he when 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 each player was on the court, it's the percentage of shots that, that you take. And Luther's was second lowest on the team behind only Alonzo Gaffney. Um, and the kind of shots that Ohio State needed from him were just sort of just open three pointers is essentially what they wanted him to take. And they wanted him to improve his efficiency inside the, the arc, but he wasn't necessarily there yet. And then you think about all right, going forward, maybe he gets a he he can become more efficient inside the arc. He can he can figure out a way to, to finish around the basket better, to get a better mid-range game or whatnot. But if you think about the guys who are going to be on the roster the next two years, which would be his, his, his final two at Ohio State, you still next season have Dwayne Washington and C.J. Walker in the backcourt. And then you also added Justice Suing and Seth Towns, who are guys who scored more than 14 points a game at, at Cal and, and Harvard, which obviously they're probably not going to both put up those kind of numbers at Ohio State, but they're still going to be uh, heavy scorers. And like if you if you think about what, what role he might have had in that season, just from that perspective, which is one of the reasons why he decided to leave from, from what I've been told, um, it does sort of make sense because, I mean... He was only gonna he was only gonna have a, a certain role on the team offensively. Now he he was hugely important defensively, but but he wanted to make this next step as an offensive player as a scoring threat. I'm just not sure necessarily that he would have got that opportunity at Ohio State. And I think he knew that. I think Ohio State knew that. Um, and if and if Luther wanted to stay and he wanted to he wanted to stay in his role and, and thrive in it, uh, they certainly would have loved to kept to have to have kept him. But he he opted to move on. Ohio State has now had five transfers in the last two years. Micah Potter transferring before the season two years ago. Jadon Ledee transferring after the season. And then, you know, just in the past few weeks, DJ Carton, Alonzo Gaffney, Lufer Muhammad all transferring. DJ Carton, we know he was dealing with some you know mental health issues. I think that was the primary reason why he chose to leave the program. For all the others... I'm sure all their reasons are a little bit different, but I think if there's one common thread that maybe I see between them is it seems like they all they all weren't necessarily happy with the roles that they were playing at Ohio State. Is there a way to avoid this from being a continued problem in the future, or is this just college basketball in 2020 where guys are less likely than they used to be to stick around if their role isn't exactly what they want it to be? 
Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, I do think that that's a, that's a a general common thread between them all. Obviously, they're they're I think they're they're different situations individually, but that is a general thing between the the four that you had mentioned. I think like if you just look at them individually, like Micah Micah Potter's um, a player that, that Chris Holtman inherited from from the Thad Mata roster, and he all, and you know. Micah wanted to essentially have the role that Caleb Lesson had last year and the year before, but Chris Holman couldn't say that, yeah, if you stay here, you're going to get that because Caleb Wesson was on the roster and there was an idea that Caleb Wesson could potentially be a four-year player at Ohio State, which means that the final years of Micah Potter's career, he would be essentially backing up Caleb Wesson. And, you know, he decided to transfer. And then when he decides to transfer two days before the season, all of a sudden, Jaden Ledee is is forced to maybe become a center um, when when he viewed himself a little bit more as a forward, a, a wing, and, and he's also a guy who sort of was buried on the bench, and and that's a little bit similar to Alonzo Gaffney's situation, where you know it positionally wasn't necessarily the issue, but it was it was more so that he didn't play a lot, um, and and he's a guy who when Ohio State landed him, he was a five star guy, um, so I think. I just think that those three especially are just sort of logical transfers. Like, why why would Micah Potter stay to back up Caleb Wesson if he thinks he can be good elsewhere? And he's clearly proven at Wisconsin that if he's in a certain role, he can he can thrive. Um, and and Ledee didn't want to play center, and that was the position that that Ohio State had uh, that Ohio State wanted him to play. Maybe Ohio State could have potentially recru- done something better in evaluation. Um, but you know, that's just one of those where you bring a guy in, you see the physical potential he had and you think, well, maybe if he puts it together, um, he can be something special and that didn't happen. And that's sort of the same thing with Alonzo Gaffney, where he's this five star from, from Ohio and and they bring him in. I just think that those three guys are a little bit different than Luther. I think Luther is different to me just because he's a guy who started for two years. You knew that he was going to potentially be on the team for, uh, two more years as a starter and being a being a major contributor. Now, I, I think my wonder going forward is essentially, you know, do you see this again and again? Because if you're gonna lose a Jaden Ledee, if you're gonna lose a Alonzo an Alonzo Gaffney or a Micah Potter, like those things that just happens in college basketball. And and you know they're, they're not they weren't major contributors they weren't even they weren't even really in the rotation regularly um, but you can't really lose a, a Luther Muhammad every single year so to me like if you lose one you know that is where you just sort of chalk it up to you know college basketball is trending in this way where you know people want certain opportunities they want what they want and it's hard to please them especially going forward and in the next year or two when people can gain immediate eligibility with transfers but um, as long as it doesn't happen every single year, you know, until it becomes a trend where, where multiple guys like Luther Muhammad are going to transfer, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and freak out about it. Um, but sure, it does make you raise your eyebrows. And I think that that you write that down and, and you see what happens in the future. Yeah. I don't think it's a great look that right now for the last two recruiting classes that he brought in four players both years and they're both down to two now with 2018 now being down to Dwayne Washington and Justin Arns and 2019 being down to EJ Liddell and Ibrahima Diallo. Like you said, I think, you know, some of these transfers made sense. Some of them aren't necessarily surprising. I, I think in modern college basketball, 
if you're bringing in you know four players in a class, it, it's going to be hard to keep all those guys for four years. I, I just don't think – I think that's becoming harder and harder to do, and I think you can see that with the number of transfers that are happening across the country. But I do think of something that Chris Holtman has said a lot is that he wants Ohio State to get old and stay old. And if you're losing this many guys after one or two years, that's not going to happen. Yeah, I think that that's a fair point to make. And, and you know, I'm not sure the next time we're, we're going to get a chance to, to interview Chris Holtman, but I'll certainly ask about that because, you know, that is a mantra that he has. I, I do wonder, too, if, you know, if, if he thinks that he can get old and stay old and also, you know, you can do that naturally through recruiting, but I don't know if artificially is the right word, but is there another way to do it through transferring that, you know, it's okay, it's okay to do? Um, and I don't think, I think that, I think that my, if I'm, if I'm going to say like, what, a, what, a, what is one thing that I'm a little bit, I don't know if concerns necessarily the right word, but something that I'm monitoring a little bit right now is, you know, Ohio State's been, it was great in year one of, of Chris Holtman. And then naturally the program was going to take a step back in the second year as everyone inspected. And they were just going to be, you know, they're going to be fine. They're going to be a good program. And they were again, a good program last year. I think you can make a case that, I mean, certainly at one point that they were, uh, they were a great team. And then I think they maybe settled into the the 15 to to 25 range, but you know, how do you go from good to great? How do you go and and become that big 10 contender and how do you go and win a big 10 championship and become a top 10 team and i do think that's where you wonder you know if you want to get old and stay old can you do that through the transfer market and get old and stay old and become great or can you get old stay old and and, and do that through the transfer market and maybe just still be good or really good and that's the part that i'm just not i'm not 100 percent sure on and and obviously chris holtman and his coaching staff they want to they want to build their program through recruiting but you know, if that falls apart, you also you also need to be able to replace them. I think that they've done a pretty solid job of finding replacements. Seth Towns was obviously a big addition. I think Justice Suing was a really nice addition. Um, C.J. Walker obviously played really well, especially down the stretch. Um, and then, uh, as we can talk about in a few, uh, Jimmy Sotos is the latest guy from Bucknell who who they added. Um, so I, I do think that there is something to the fact that maybe they can they can essentially get get um stay on course and not be not be put off course but i do wonder if you can take that next step that you want to take doing this yeah you bring up jimmy soto's uh second transfer into ohio state now this offseason seth towns who committed a couple weeks ago i think seth towns is more well known by a lot of ohio state fans because he grew up in columbus uh, a lot of local Ohio State fans, particularly, uh, were familiar with who Seth Towns is. I don't think a lot of Ohio State fans had heard the name Jimmy Sotos before yesterday. So, uh, what should people know about Jimmy Sotos? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't know that I had remembered the name Jimmy Sotos, even though Ohio State had played uh, against Bucknell two years ago. Um, but essentially, what what I think the, the most important things to know about him are, one, that he's going to sit out next year unless something changes. Um, and then he'll have one year of eligibility to play, which means that he will take over, or he's expected to be the guy who takes over from C.J. Walker as, as Ohio State's point guard for the 21-22 season. And then probably, I mean, it's basically impossible to look this far ahead, but then you imagine maybe the next year it's Michi Johnson's time to, to start a point guard for Ohio State. 
Um, but he's a guy who, I mean, I, I think he's he's a solid guy. He's not a world beater. He's not a, he's not going to be a guy who comes in and changes the program. But I mean, he, but he was really solid. He he put up a, eleven points a game, three rebounds a game, four assists per game at Bucknell. Um, I think he, he he's a solid outside shooter. When you just watch him, he just, he just seems like he's really smooth and, and he understands what he's doing with the ball. Um, I I think it's interesting how he's essentially played three different roles in three seasons. When he was a, a freshman, he he came off the bench for a, a good portion of the season. Then as a sophomore, he led the the Patriot League in assists when he was playing with uh, um, a, a couple of. Uh, a couple of uh, all league players, and then in his third year, when when they were gone, he was the he was the guy who led the led Bucknell in scoring. So I, I just think that he's a guy who's sort of been around. He's taken a long path to get here. It's um, not going to change the program, but I just think he'll be solid. And and he's a guy who um, I I won't expect to to lead the team in scoring, but I will expect that that he'll he'll be a guy who he'll he'll be a quality starter. He'll be a CJ Walker type. Because of Lufer Muhammad's transfer, Ohio State still has another open scholarship for next season. Looking at a roster right now, you'd have to think they'd, they'd want to get another graduate transfer, presumably at guard, because right now you've got C.J. Walker and Dwayne Washington, who are the obvious starters at guard, but you really don't have a lot of depth behind them. You know, Musa Jallo, Eugene Brown are guys who can play at that two-guard spot, but... Uh, point guard, you really don't have much depth at all. So you'd, you'd think they'd want to bring in a, a grad transfer to bolster that guard depth. Any possible candidates you see out there? You know, what kind of player would make sense to fill that role? Yeah, I don't necessarily have the the names on hand, but I can say that you know, I, Andrew Dockich is the kind of guy who you'd be looking for because essentially. What you're trying to sell to to a uh, a college athlete is, hey, come to Ohio State and spend your senior year backing up Dwayne Washington and C.J. Walker, and you know that's just a little bit of a hard sell because a lot of transfers go in the portal because they want bigger roles, they want to be featured more, and essentially you're looking for the exact opposite. You're looking for a guy who's maybe been around for a little bit, um, who you think can impact the game at a Big Ten quality level, but also understands that they're probably going to come off the bench and they might not play more than 10, 15 minutes a game. And you just have to find someone who's okay with that, which means you're probably not going to go out and get a guy who averaged 15 points a game somewhere else. It'll probably be a guy who who was maybe a, a lesser contributor. Um, so I wouldn't say that this that that if they add someone that that you should be looking out for for someone great. But I will say that you know, I mean Andrew Dockich was was important in his year at Ohio State. Like guys who maybe you don't expect a ton of can be really solid. Um, so. I do. I, I I'm interested to see if they pursue a thirteenth guy and and who that would who who that would be. I just I would temper expectations if if they're much higher than the the Andrew Dockage level. So if we look at next year's lineup, you figure right now the starting lineup is most likely going to be Kyle Young, EJ Liddell, and Ivor Seth Towns or Justice Suing. You know, depending on who's you know more impressive in the lead up to the season in the front court, and then Dwayne Washington. C.J. Walker in the backcourt, both Towns and Suing, you know, regardless of who starts or maybe they both start, you know, those six guys we know are all, you know, as long as they're healthy, you know, they're all going to be key pieces. 
next year. You know, Musa Jallo, Justin Arms are guys you would think would have uh, roles off the bench as well. Ibrahima Diallo, certainly with the limited depth uh, inside and really not having any other true centers, you'd think he'd have a role, uh, You know, even, even if it's mostly for defensive purposes. Then you have Zed Key and Eugene Brown, uh, the freshman coming in, grad transfer possible as well, but you probably want to temper expectations for all those guys. So if that's your team for next year, I mean, you were talking about that difference between good and great. Is this a team next year that has that potential to be great, or or are we looking more at a good team for next year? Yeah, I think it has that great potential. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know about you, but I really don't know what to expect. Like, I don't. There are no, a ton of guys up and down this roster where I'm like, like you can. I'll just go through real quick. Like CJ Walker, is he going to be the guy who we saw for the first twenty odd games, or is he going to be the guy we saw at the at the at the end of the season last six games? Like, can Dwayne become a more offense, a more efficient offensive player? Will will ju- what kind of player will Justice Suing be when he's playing on a good team and not a team that wins six games a year in Cal? Uh, how healthy can Seth Towns get, and and how will that affect him? Can EJ Liddell go from being a, a solid role player to being a star? Like I have no idea how good EJ Liddell can be next year. I just know that it's really important for him to take a big leap. Uh, Kyle Young, I think, is maybe the surest guy. You know exactly what you're going to get from him. You just got to keep him healthy. Musa, you haven't now seen play for a full year. So one, he's got to get healthy, and then two, um, you. I just think when when guys haven't played for a year, it's a little bit harder to to gauge what you're going to get from them, uh, positive or negatively. And then uh, like Arns can. What will a healthy offseason do for him? Because last year, I think the back really impacted him and his ability to contribute. Diallo, will he give you anything? Uh, Zed Key, sort of the same thing. And, and Eugene Brown, uh, similar. I, I wonder about his body and how that'll hold up uh, in, in the Big Ten right away. I just think there are a ton of, of, of question marks that you know Ohio State can't answer right now because this is going to be a really important offseason for them. Yeah, it's tough because I, I think... I think expectations need to be tempered for next year's team because there is so much uncertainty. But at the same time, I, I also think, you know, just based on the reactions uh, to the Lufer news on Sunday, I, I, I think that if this team plateaus, if this team doesn't take another step, I, I think the unrest in the Ohio State fan base is going to grow. I, I think... I think the expectations are going into year four uh, of Chris Holtman that this is a team that should be contending for Big Ten titles, that should be competing to make deep runs in the NCAA tournament. I'm not sure if they're there yet, but I I, I do feel that, and and I'm not saying he's on the hot seat. I still don't think he's anywhere close to that. But I, I do think that if, if this isn't a team that, that gets to that level pretty soon, I, I do think there's going to be more and more of a vocal section of the Ohio State fan base that starts to openly wonder whether Holtman and Ohio State are ever going to be good enough to get to that level that people think they should be, you know, where they were with Greg Oden and Mike Conley, where they were with Jared Sullinger and Aaron Kraft. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we can have a whole hour-long discussion about just basketball expectations and what they should be because I think it's fascinating. Um, 
I know that we should probably get some football talk here, but I'll say that I think the next year or so is going to be really important for the basketball program and Chris Holtman, both on the court this season and this offseason and in the 21 recruiting class. Because I think this is sort of going to define where this program goes. Because you have a lot of guys on this team right now who need significant development in the offseason. Um, and I ran down I, I ran down them all. Um, I think they can be pretty good next year. I think they can be really good next year. But it's going to take a lot of offseason work. It's going to take a lot of buy-in. Um, it's going to take a lot of guys getting better. And then in the 21 class, I know that we've talked about in the past, and, and, and a lot of people have talked about it, Ohio State's not necessarily going to be a, 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 team, a program that signs big-time classes year in, year out, gets three five-stars in a class. That's just unrealistic. That's not going to happen. Um, but if you look at the 21 class, they're in on some pretty highly ranked guys. They already have Michi Johnson, whose ranking slipped because he was out for the last year with an ACL injury. But I think he, I, I think you can pencil him in as a as a as a really high end four star. Um, and then you have Kalen Etzler as a, as an Ohioan as well. Malachi Branham's a guy who they really want. Um, he he goes to to Akron, St. Vincent, St. Mary. Um, and then you have guys like Efton Reed, who's a five star center from Virginia, who who they ran on. You have you have a number of centers who who they're contacting right now. Kendall Brown's a guy who's a who's a five star um, guard that that they, that they had for an uh, for an official visit a few months ago. Like they're in on some decently high ranked guys. They just need to put together. They they need to land them essentially. They need to have a strong twenty one class to go along with a strong twenty to twenty one season. And I think that if they can do that. And it's sure, sure, it's a big if at this point. But if you can do that, they'll, they will have, I think, a lot more people who are who are wondering about this team um, getting behind them again. Can't imagine why they'd want a guy from St. Vincent, St. Mary. Never been a never been a good basketball player from there. No, no. Honestly, we we probably need to do some research to find the last good one. Some guy, some some kid from Akron, I hear, is, was pretty good, pretty pretty good in the uh, NBA. As Colin said, we want to talk a little bit about football here as well. Not a ton happening right now with the team, to be honest, because there's not that much they can do. Players are at home. Uh, coaches are at home. You know, a lot of the stuff we talked about over the past couple weeks of, you know, coaches uh, still working with players remotely, you know, doing, you know, film sessions, at least to what they're allowed to do, and, you know, expecting guys to work out on their own, but not really able to enforce them. So, uh, just a period of uncertainty here with college football. Of course, every day there's new speculation about is there going to be a season, is there not. I'm still not at a point where I feel good making any predictions one way or the other because there's just so much uncertainty. It seems like you know one day there will be some good news, and then the next day there will maybe be some less positive news. So once there starts to once there starts to be a little more clarity on that front and. Uh, a little bit more, you know, reason to talk about it and break down, you know, what might happen there. You know, we will have that conversation on this podcast, but I still think it's a little too early to have that conversation. We did have the opportunity last week to talk to Mark Pantoni, which is actually pretty rare. He doesn't do a ton of press conferences at Ohio State, but, you know, for those who don't know Mark Pantoni, the director of player personnel, he basically he basically runs for a whole recruiting operation for Ohio State. The coaches are the ones who actually go out on the road recruiting, but Mark Pantoni is the one who really kind of organizes everything. He's he's the first guy who's 
watching guys film and then he's going to Ryan Day or he's going to position coaches and saying, hey, you should watch this guy, this guy, and this guy. He's the one along with his staff who's coordinating visits and, you know, really, really, really overseeing the whole, you know, behind the scenes recruiting operation for Ohio State. So uh, it's always fascinating when we do get an opportunity to talk to him a little bit about recruiting. And of course, right now at a time that recruiting is different, just, just like teams aren't able to practice, they're also not allowed to host visitors at this point, we have no idea when they're going to be able to host visitors again, when they're going to be able to go out on the road and evaluate people. Uh, at this point, the spring evaluation period is, is gone because the NCAA has put a dead period in place until the end of May. It would appear that Ohio State's summer football camps probably aren't going to happen either because those were scheduled for June. The university has already canceled all events through July. So or until July, I should say. So really not going to be a lot of opportunities for Ohio State to meet with recruits in person anytime soon, which means a lot of it's being done over the phone, through FaceTime, Zoom, whatever whatever technology they want to use. And you know, that's probably fine for building relationships with guys. We live in such a tech-driven world anyway that – you know, guys, they're on, they're on their phones, they're on FaceTime. Uh, I, I think you can still, you know, build relationships just fine that way. But certainly, the, the big challenge right now is they can't go out on the road and evaluate guys. And there were some guys in the 2021 class that they might have been saying, okay, we're gonna go watch from the spring and make our decision on whether or not we're gonna offer this guy. And now they might have to make that decision without getting that opportunity. Yeah, I think that that's a that's one of the more interesting parts that the things that he mentioned because he mentioned it quite a few times. Like this was clearly something that I'm I'm not sure if he had a specific guy in mind or if this was this was something that you know that there were multiple players that um, were essentially affected by the inability to to go visit them and see them practice or or, or talk to them in person. Um, but I mean, I think that I think that. Generally, what what this benefits is teams that have had guys on visits, had guys on official visits already, because they have an idea of, of certain players. I do think um, it'll be interesting to see how Ohio State figures out how how to how to pursue guys who are um, newer targets, because I think every single off season you see guys pop up whether they're guys who, who come to camps and perform really well in front of the coaching staff or um, or whatnot, or, or if they or, or if Ohio State happens to hear about someone goes sees them and all of a sudden they shoot up their, their recruiting board. Like that happens all the time. I'm just I'm interested to see how guys get on recruiting boards um, at Ohio State and beyond uh, this offseason because I think that that's going to be really tough. I think that I think that I think that maybe that could hurt schools beyond Ohio State more, but you also see Ohio State sometimes be a leader and and offer a kid early, and then you sort of have an idea that you know other schools are going to follow, and, and oftentimes that happens. Um, that won't happen this off season. And I'm not I'm not quite sure um, how many newer guys you're going to see come on to on to, onto the recruiting scene in ter- for Ohio State compared to compared to usual. 
Yeah, I think it's really good, really good to be in a position that Ohio State's in right now to already have 15 guys committed for the 2021 class. That would be really good under any circumstances, especially the quality of guys that they have. But I think especially right now because you know they're in a great spot. I, I, I think Mark Pantone on his teleconference last week did a good job of tempering expectations and and uh you know making it clear that hey we we still got to recruit these guys you know nobody's signed yet our work is far from done but the reality is ohio state is in a really good spot for the class of 2021 uh if if they can keep all these guys committed you know they're they're gonna have one of their best recruiting classes ever you know as long as they as long as things really don't fall apart from here they're already in a great spot with tons of great talent and the reason the big reason why they already have 15 commitments is because they did a great job with this class of building relationships early of getting guys on campus last year you know coming to games and and really building those relationships where guys even some of the guys who just committed who were planning to visit this spring decided to commit anyway because they knew they weren't going to get that chance to visit this spring, and they already felt good enough about becoming Buckeyes. So, you know, that's a great sign for Ohio State. You know, they've got so much momentum right now in recruiting, but, you know, I, I think the flip side of that is for that big run of commitments Ohio State had in March, you should probably be prepared for it might be a while before there might be another commitment now because, you know, all those guys who were thinking about it and knew there was going to be this big lull, you know, they went ahead and, and committed, but their other targets, you know, they might all be kind of in this boat of, okay, we want to visit again or, or we want to go visit other places and see what's out there. And now they're all in a holding pattern where, who knows, maybe they can go visit in June. Maybe they can go visit in August. Maybe they won't get to visit at all. It, 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 there's so much unknown at this point. And, you know, obviously I, I do think that if, if this extends into the fall, where this is affecting the season or, you know, affecting who can visit for games, even if games happen, I do think at that point, conversations have to be had about potentially altering the recruiting calendar this year. But under the current circumstances, we we, we assume there will be an early signing period in December. It, there's just no guarantees right now for guys that we're planning to visit, there's just no guarantees right now that those visits are going to be able to happen this year. Yeah, I think... Um, I, I, so I was talking to Mac Etienne. Is a, um, he's a basketball player in the 2021 class. He picked up an Ohio State offer a week or two ago, and I was talking to his coach. Um, and, you know, I asked him about that and and how it'll how it'll affect the the essentially the recruiting calendar and and the recruiting clock of a recruit and and whether it'll it'll make a make a recruit um, commit to a school that that maybe he's visited already and it'll speed up the process. What his thought in terms of basketball, which is on a little bit of a different calendar, but but not a not a gigantically uh, not 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 a hugely different calendar, um, is is his thought is was essentially that it wouldn't necessarily have a big impact on the 2021 guys just because um, there's going to be time later in the year in his mind for players to take these visits and, and, and to get that, get out to all these schools. Now, the real question is, is 
you know, what if what if that doesn't happen? And what if I don't know how far back this um, the the ban on in person recruiting will be? But you know, what if it's till August? What if it's something something that seems crazy right now to recruits, but all of a sudden it, it just pushes it back so far that it makes you wonder if there becomes a point where if it's pushed back again, um, if you're going to have guys who are like, all right, I'm just going to make a decision because I'm not really sure what's going to happen and I want to make sure that I get a spot in Ohio State's class and someone else's class. And, and I do wonder if it becomes a thing, if it gets pushed back one more time, um, if, if it's going to have a, have a quick um, acceleration in terms of commitments. But for now, I do think that largely a lot of guys – um, unless they are in love with a, a school that they've already visited and um, they're willing to commit, which I think Ohio State has already sort of gotten gotten a couple of those guys. I, I just think that, like you said, I think there's going to be a little bit of a dry spell in commitments, both for Ohio State and for, for, for other schools. Yeah, I think, you know, just like always, it's, it's important to remember just how individual – recruiting is and we, we've seen we've seen some guys as a result of this speed up their processes that just go ahead and commit because they don't they don't want to wait this process out they just want to get it over with we've seen other guys postpone their commitment so I think you know I, I think it'll go both ways uh, regardless of how this plays out you know I think you know th- there's gonna be guys who you know if, if, if they can't visit at all this summer, they're they are going to go ahead and pull the trigger and make a decision because they're not going to want to wait any longer. You know, I I also think you know there's there's probably if we if we assume the signing periods stay the same and again that's just for conversation purpose because I don't think that's a guarantee. But if if we assume the signing periods stay the same, I, I do think I do think there's definitely a possibility where maybe not as many guys sign in December this year where maybe. Maybe the f- more guys push their signings back to February because of the fact that they might not be able to make all their visits before then, because of the fact that you know they just might not have as many opportunities uh, to go through their typical recruiting process as guys typically would. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this all unfolds. It's 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 just another variable that you have to deal with and you know i mean there's also the obvious question of you know are we going to see more flips as a result of this if guys are committing in if guys are committing sight unseen is it more likely that guys are going to flip later in the process once the restrictions are gone i i don't know about that i mean i think you know you're always gonna you're you're always gonna assume and hope if you're a team that if a guy commits to you, that commitment is solid. At the same time, like Mark Pantone said, you know we're still recruiting all these guys that aren't committed. We're you know we our work is not done yet until they sign their name on the dotted line. So uh, I think if you're uh, if you're Mark Pantone, if you're a coaching staff, I think you try to keep your process as normal as possible, but you certainly have to keep in mind the changes here and and you have to adapt to a different environment that everybody's forced to deal with right now what else from from what mark pantoni said did did maybe you think was the most interesting or a week later has has stuck with you well i i I thought was interesting was that he definitely seemed more concerned about the impacts of this on the 2021 class than 2022 because 
I, I would maybe think the opposite, you know, especially considering Ohio State doesn't have any commitments for 2022 yet, where you, know, you, you think at this point they'd probably have a pretty good idea of you know who's who's a guy they they're prepared to offer for this year's class especially considering the number of commitments they already have i would think that you know especially stuff like camps this summer i would think that might be more important for evaluating 2022 guys cuz a lot of times usually most of those offers at camps a lot of times those are for guys in the next cycle they're not for the they're not for the immediate cycle that you're in right now a lot of times they're you know, a, a guy comes to a camp for the first time, and and then you offer him for that next cycle. You know, I think I would think there's a lot of 2022 guys who are planning to come to camps this summer, who Ohio State was hoping to evaluate at a camp this summer, and now, you know, they might they might not get that opportunity to evaluate that guy in person until 2021 because yeah. because. No matter how this plays out, there's going to be limited opportunities. Certainly everyone hopes there's going to be a full college football season and high school football season this fall. But even then, you know, you, you're coaching a season. You don't, you don't have many opportunities to go out and evaluate guys in person. So I think, I think it just pushes everything, everything back. And once these restrictions are lifted everyone's going to have to play catch up not just with this cycle but for next year's cycle as well yeah i do wonder if it's more so his answer to that being that that affects 2021 more is that you know that's what they're invested in on a day-to-day right now and it's just more so annoying and it really sucks for them that that they aren't able to do that i do wonder if if maybe it does affect the the 2022 class more but you know it it it's more. It's worse from a day-to-day perspective, not being able to do these things for the for the twenty-one class. Um, the, the getting getting someone in twenty-two, I, I do think is is important. Um, at at some point soon, I know Gabe Powers is a guy from Ohio. I'm all, I'm not going to try to attempt to to pronounce the the twenty twenty two offensive lineman Tegra from Shibola. Cincinnati. That's the guy, Tegra. Yeah, I was going to go Tegra again because I can't pronounce anything. Um, I, I know that he's he's someone who Ohio State has, has already offered, and, and it seems like they're in a good position for him. Um, at some point, though, they're they're going to want to build momentum on that class. But like you said, it is a little bit hard to to build momentum right now for for a class that is still so far away from even being able to sign, and also can't get evaluated in person. And you know, it it's just harder to to build the bonds with with guys in your class when. You're never going to be around them right now uh, throughout the camp season. Yeah, and if you look back to last year, they only had one commitment at this point. So yeah, they're pretty good too. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty big commitment from Jack Sawyer, and I think that really got the ball rolling for that entire <laughs> class. So certainly, I, I I agree. I think you would like to land a 2022 commitment soon to get the ball rolling on that class, but they're not necessarily behind there. I think. You know, I, I don't think you know that's anything to panic about at this point, but they don't have a, a 2022 commitment yet. But the whole interesting variable of this is just how far back does that push it? I mean, I, I don't think there's been many 2022 commitments, period, yet around the country. And, you know, I, I would think, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'd say this, if, if I was a, a parent of a 2022 recruiter, if I was a coach of a 2022 recruiter, if I was someone in their corner... 
I would tell them to pump the brakes and, and wait until this is all over before you do anything because uh, there's plenty of time for those guys. Uh, I certainly I certainly would not encourage them to uh, jump into any decisions while any of this is going on. So I would imagine you know this is going to slow timelines for a lot of those 2022 guys unless they were already you know heavily leaning toward a school. But yeah, it's, it's just it's, this is one of those things. This whole situation, whether it's recruiting, whether it's finances, this situation, e- even if even if there's a football season, even if there's a full football season this fall, this situation is going to have some ramifications that schools, athletic departments, football teams are going to have to deal with for years to come. This is not something that you know, obviously, if there's no football season or if there's an abbreviated football season, there's going to be an even bigger impact. But even, you know, even if, you know, the teams are back in July and they're able to have a full football season, there's still going to be some ramifications of this that teams are going to have to deal with for, for a while. And I think, you know, smaller schools with smaller budgets are going to be hurt the most. But even in Ohio State, it is is going to deal with some longer-term ramifications of this. And I think... Certainly, just that that catch up on the recruiting trail that that schools are going to have to deal with is, is going to be one that affects everybody. It is. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the twenty seventeen class a little bit? Yeah, I thought that might be a good topic. Or you 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 actually suggested this topic, but uh, to talk a little bit this week about the class of twenty seventeen because I think it transitions nicely from when we're talking about the twenty twenty one class to talking about this class because I think when people think about what twenty one can become, they think about the seventeen class. And rightfully so, because the twenty seventeen class uh, has produced some superstars and Mark Pantoni said last week that, you know, you really have to wait three years to really know how good a recruiting class is. That that was in response to, you know, being asked about this year's class or the 2021 class being ranked number one right now. And, you know, we've hit that three-year mark for the 2017 class. Uh, I, you know, I think we all thought, you know, last year, okay, if Ohio State's going to be really good, that they're going to have to have a lot of stars from that 2017 class. And, you know, I think the same is going to be true for 2018 next year, and we'll talk about that a little more down the line. But uh, just in terms of that 2017 class, you know, we saw a lot of star turns for that class last year, and certainly Chase Okuda, Jeff o- or Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, J.K. Dobbins. Imagine Chase Okuda. That'd be a hell of a player. Yeah, I don't know what position he'd play, but he'd be pretty good regardless of what what it was. But uh, those three, of course, all superstars last season, first-team All-Americans, they're all about to be early NFL draft picks. A lot of other major contributors from last year that are back for another year, Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, Pete Werner, Thayer Munford, you know, just that group of guys themselves is a tremendous haul of players who, you know, you, you, those first six guys specifically, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, J.K. Dobbins, Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, those are all guys who were really highly touted recruits who were expected to be stars at Ohio State, and they've lived up to that hype at Ohio State. And, you know, that's why Ohio State was one of the best teams in the country last year. And the fact that most of them are back is... 
a big reason why Ohio State is among the front runners again this year. Is um, I, I do think that it, it's interesting when people talk about recruiting and you know. I don't know if you've ever been on Twitter in the last forty or the last uh, two weeks, but uh, uh, Ari Washerman has certainly made his uh, thoughts on the talent versus coaching debate known. Um, and I think a lot of people, when when they and I see this comment a lot, is you know when when Ohio State signs a class like twenty seventeen, like this is a national championship winning class. This is a class that should win a national championship. This is a class that can win a national championship. Um, and you know. You can say that last year, you know, they, they came very close to playing for, for the title against uh, against LSU. Obviously, there were quite a few plays in the Clemson game that we've uh, been over enough that we don't need to rehash them. But, um, you know, I, I think that there's the it, it's interesting because you have guys who are the headliners in the 2017 class, like you mentioned, and J.K. Okuda and Chase Young, who are gone, yet... What's so what's so what's so impressive about a, a class like 2017, at least to me, is that even when you have those guys gone, like you have enough enough players still around for the fourth year and, and potentially a fifth year, um, that you know this could this this is like a, a normal recruiting class uh, at Ohio State. Like you still have three five stars on the team. You still have guys who are maybe low end recruits. Um, uh, lower lower rated in the class who are contributing at a high level, and you just have a nice little mix there. Where I think you can you can you can we, you can look at what uh, what J.K. Chase and Okuda did and think, you know, that's really that, it, it's pretty disappointing that they didn't win a national championship because they were so so good for Ohio State for for three years. But there are enough really good players from, from from this class still that I think you put you put you put these together you put these guys together, um, especially combined with the potential of a lot of the 2018 guys who I know that we're going to have a lot of conversations about because I think that maybe uh, that class is a class that can really swing whether or not that that you actually win a national title. But these guys are really going to be the bedrock of your team, um, and. When I'm looking at them, like I still think that even without Chase, uh, Jeff Okuda, and, and J.K. Dobbins, this is certainly a class that can that can be the bedrock of a of a national title team. Well, the, the thing that's so huge is keeping guys like Sean Wade, like Wyatt Davis, for another year mm-hmm. because we all knew. I mean, we knew before last season that Chase Young, J.K. Dobbins, yeah. and Jeff Okuda were going to be gone. They, did, they didn't say it. Nobody told us that, but we could assume yeah, that. We knew, we knew before, we knew like Chase Young when he stepped on campus and Jeff Okuda when he stepped on campus that he might go. And then J.K. Dobbins, after his first year, it became pretty clear. Like yeah. These were guys who you knew for, for years. Yeah, I mean, those were guys who were going to go pro after three years. Uh, there was no reason for them to come back. They're, they've already done all they can do to maximize their draft stock. So uh, those guys, like you know, those guys, you're going to lose those guys. Keeping guys like Sean Wade and Wyatt Davis, because those guys could have been early round picks this year too. Keeping those guys in the fold for another year is absolutely huge. And and you do, you still have you know a lot of key pieces. You know, you look at a guy like Baron Browning who. Yeah, it's fair to say has not lived up to the five star hype yet. But he was a he was a significant contributor for the past couple of years too. And maybe this year as a senior, you know, if he if he can win a starting job, you know, maybe this is the year he finally puts it all together and he really becomes that five star player. 
and vaults his draft stock up and can become that guy to help propel Ohio State to a championship. And then you know, you've, you've got some other guys too that are that are still around and you know need to make their move now. Guys like Haskell Garrett, Jalen Harris, Marcus Williamson, Jerron Cage, Elijah Gardner. Those are guys that I don't necessarily have any big expectations for at this point because we haven't seen a ton of it, ton out of them for three years. Uh, but those are the guys who, you know, you, you, especially you look at a guy like a Marcus Williamson at that slot corner spot. You look at a guy like Haskell Garrett where they're replacing three, three really good players at defensive tackle. Those are the kind of guys who, you know, you don't necessarily need them to become stars. You're probably not really expecting them to become stars at this point. But you do need those guys to take a step and to be able to contribute in a significant capacity this year. Yeah, you're right. I, th- I mean, shoot, I think those five guys are just fascinating in and of themselves because they're guys who, like when I when I think about Jalen Harris and Marcus Williamson specifically, and you tell me, yeah, they're seniors, I'm like, <laughs> like my jaw drops because it feels like they're still young, they're still developing. But no, these guys are guys who, you know, this is literally their last year in college football. I still have not a clue how good they are because they just haven't played that much. I think Jalen Harris has five catches, and I might be projecting him as a starter. And Marcus Williamson was going through the spring, at least at the beginning, as the starting slot cornerback. Um, and and you combine these guys who have to take a step forward with the, the five-star prospects who are still on the roster, like a Sean Wade and a, and a Wyatt Davis and a Baron Browning, the high-end four-stars like a Josh Myers, and maybe the, the lower-end guys who have been big contributors like a Pete Werner and a Thayer Munford. And you put all those guys together, if those if the, if the at least some of those seniors step up, like you said, um, or not, not necessarily seniors, but fourth-year guys like Haskell Garrett, Jalen Harris, Marcus Williamson, Jerron Cage, and Elijah Gardner, if you can get a few of them to step up, I just think that, that you have the veterans on this team that, that you need, and there's a ton of talent in the underclass that, that, that hasn't necessarily got a shot yet. I think that, I mean, this is what you sort of say every year at Ohio State, but once again, they've just got a really nice balance of, of veterans and, and, and younger talent on, on this team. So you, you, do you think there's enough you know, remaining in this class that this class can, can lead Ohio State to a national title? It's tough because I, I certainly wouldn't say this class in particular because it, even if you look up and down uh, uh, this class, like can Sean Wade be Jeff Okuda? Like I think he can be about as good, but Jeff Okuda might have been the best Ohio State cornerback that that Kerry Combs had, and Kerry Combs had great Ohio State cornerbacks. Um, Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis can can potentially both be All Americans. I think Pete Warren can be an All Big Ten guy. Thayer Munford can be an All Big Ten guy, but you're also you're you don't have a, a Chase Young in this group. I don't think you don't have a guy who's going to be a transcendent defensive talent go down in, in the annals of history um, at Ohio State as as arguably the best defensive player ever. That's a high bar. Uh, you don't have a, you don't have a J.K. Dobbins in this class. Um, so I think that I do think that you're going to need guys who are are that elite of the elite in in other classes and. Obviously, we know who some of those guys are, namely Justin Fields. Um, but I think that this is a this is a nice bedrock class for for Ohio State to to potentially you know get back to the playoff and 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 finally win it all. I just don't. I think that if, if you're asking me, can this class be be the one that has enough star power to get them over the hump? I don't know about that. I just think it's a nice it's a nice base. Yeah, I mean, I think 
the reason why you typically look at that third year as kind of that defining year for a class is because that's the last year you're going to have those real superstars for the free years and done guys yep. in that class. So I think, you know, losing a Chase Young, losing Jeff Okuda, losing J.K. Dobbins, there's still a ton of guys in this class who can make a huge impact for Ohio State in 2020. But, you know, it does become more contingent on the classes behind them now to step up, it, it, especially that 2018 class where you really look at them and say, okay, Chris Olave is really the only guy in that class who's become a star at this point. And, you know, maybe... Yeah, you know, that's and it's like, levels of star, too. Like, you're talking... Like, when we talk... Like, like you talked about transcendent stars. I think that that's a good word to use there because that is what J.K. Dobbins and and, um, and Chase Young and Jeff Okuda were. There's Like, Chris Olave is a star. I'm not sure Chris Olave is, like, a top 10 pick transcendent star. I, I, I do wonder... You know who are Justin Fields is a transcendent star. Who are those guys on this team? And 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 that's what I that is where you do look to the 2018 class because I think that there is a there's a good base on this team. There's as in there's a lot of guys who have who have played really well at a high level, and I think that they can build the bedrock of a national championship team. But who are the guys that are getting them over the top? I, I think you I think you're looking at certain guys to make leaps. I just think that um, there's gonna be there's gonna be a decent amount of pressure on on them to do that. Yeah, I mean I, I think there abs- absolutely is, and I think you know you, you look at guys you look at a guy like a, a Tyreek Smith in that 2018 class, or you know a, a Tommy Togiaia, Josh Proctor. You have five star recruits like Teron Vincent and Tyreek Johnson who have barely contributed. Those are the kind of guys who you're gonna need to see see step up for Ohio State to, you know, have a chance to win a national title in in 2020 because you don't have Chase Young anymore. You don't have Jeff Okuda anymore. I think, you know, having so many top guys still around from that 2017 class is huge. But if it's of course it's it's always about how well have you built a mix of guys between four or five classes together to build that championship roster and I think uh I think Ohio State's done a very good done a very good job of that but I do think that you know when you had Chase Young when you had J.K. Dobbins those guys you did view that as being at really big opportunity I think because you don't have that transcendent star in the 2018 class behind them I don't I don't look going to this year as much as saying Man, this is the opportunity for these guys. Certainly, you have Justin Fields, who is going into his last year. So, in that sense, you look at it and go, you know, this is the opportunity. You, you've you've got to win it while you still have Justin Fields. But I think, you know, beyond him, you know, you you have your Chris Olaves, you have your Sean Wade, uh, guys like Garrett Wilson and Zach Harrison, who might who might reach that level this year. But I but I think there are going to need to be a lot of guys collectively. Who, who step up if Ohio State is going to get over that hump this year and and become a national championship team? Would you do you think that it's fair to be disappointed if this class never wins a national title? I think it's fair to be disappointed because it is such a talented class with, with the number of guys that you had. I mean, I think you could argue whether Ohio State or Alabama had the best class in 2017, but they're both elite, and 
you know, the reality is you might not win a, if you don't, you know, it's, it's just like that 2021 class that they're building right now. If that class stays together, that class is going to come in with the expectation of winning a national championship. Certainly, you know, Chase Young and J.K. Dobbins, those are guys that came in with the expectation of winning a national championship, and they didn't have the opportunity to achieve that goal. So I know guys like Sean Wade and Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers, by coming back, you know, they want to they want to achieve that goal, not just for themselves, but for those guys as well, because, you know, they believe their class is a class that should be a, a national champion. And, it, and it's such it's such a high bar to expect a class to achieve that it, it feels almost a little harsh to say it's a disappointment if they don't win a national title together. But there's just so much talent that's come out of that class. I mean, it's so hard to hit on that many you know stars in one class that when you do have a class like that the expectation is that that's gonna deliver a national championship to your team and this year is the year to make that happen because you know even though guys like Sean Wade and Wyatt Davis still have two years of eligibility I'd be pretty surprised if if 2020 was not their last season at Ohio State yep I agree with that you want to take some questions yeah we have a couple questions this week, kind of some open-ended type questions. Ohio against the World 34 said he he's seeking to complete traveling to all the Big Ten venues for football games. So he asked us, what are your top three places to visit within the Big Ten for a football game? So to me, number one is Penn State. I think uh, Penn State, uh, especially if you can go for a whiteout, a night game, uh, great environment there. Not a great press box, but uh, great environment yeah, certainly. But, if, but no one will. Yeah, they, I don't think. I don't think that they're uh, gonna care about about us. I will say though, I love when it shakes. Yeah, it it it, do, it does shake, and and that speaks to the environment uh, you get inside Beaver Stadium. It gets uh, really loud. Uh, definitely a place that I would recommend if you're a football fan. Uh, definitely a place that belongs on your list of top teams that uh, or top stadiums uh top game day environments that that you'd want to go visit so that'd be nine number one would you agree with that yeah i think that the the way that i have to personally think about this is is essentially because i haven't been to most of these schools outside from ohio state football game it's essentially where would you want to go see ohio state play um if as as a fan which also i haven't necessarily done because i've sat in the press box for for penn state but i will say like Penn State whiteouts. If you go to a Penn State whiteout versus Ohio State, like it's it's an awesome environment. It just is. There, uh, yeah. I think that's probably my number one too. But I'll say this: I, I still remember. I think this is the loudest that I remember a stadium, and this is even including in 2016 when I was on the field when when Penn State beat Ohio State and then stormed the field. Wisconsin at a, at, at night. Um, and you're certainly going to want to go maybe when it's when it's not negative uh, four degrees right on the water. But Wisconsin is an awesome environment if if they're playing a if if they're playing a, an Ohio State. I, I was told I think my my parents went to a Wisconsin game. It was either it was I think it was last year, and maybe the environment wasn't what I remembered it to be. But if you if, if you go to a Wisconsin Ohio State game something like that, yeah, that that thing will live up to expectations. 
Yeah, I have not personally been to Wisconsin. I I feel like Madison's Wisconsin, awesome too. Yeah, I I feel like Wisconsin definitely belongs in the top three. I cannot personally vouch for that because I I haven't been to Wisconsin. I I haven't been to uh, Minnesota or Illinois either. I've been to I've been to all the other Big Ten stadiums, but I haven't been to those three yet. Hopefully, hopefully get to Illinois this year. Hopefully, if things uh if things work out uh, the way they're supposed to. Um, you know, but I, I would say, you know, of the ones that I've been to, you know, I, I'd put Penn State number one. Uh, Ohio against the world said in his comment that he, he has been to Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Nebraska, Northwestern, Purdue, and, and Michigan, with Nebraska being hands down the top of those experience. I'd agree out of those schools that I've been to, I, I would put Nebraska at the top of that list. So that, that would be my number two of the ones that I've been to. Uh, I've been there a couple times. Uh, really nice stadium. Uh, great game day environment. Uh, I think Lincoln's pretty cool as well. So, so that would be number two for me. Yeah, I I would say. I mean, here's the thing. I have a top four, and then I'll be honest. There's just a giant chasm between number four and five. Um, so I'll just say my next two. And yeah, one of them's Nebraska. It, it just it's a really fun place to watch a game. People are really invested, even though whenever I've gone, it's been a blowout. <laughs> Um, but the one, I, I mean, I, how can I not mention Michigan? I mean, yeah. if you're going to watch Ohio State, Michigan, uh, in Ann Arbor, and especially if you're an Ohio State fan who gets to watch this reign of terror on Jim Harbaugh, yeah, that would, that's a, that has to crack my top four. And, yeah, I, I, and I, I will say, though, I will say, environment wise, I think I might put that behind the other three, at least from, from the games that I've been to. And, and I think largely that is that there's a, a good deal of, about how, how the stadium is built. But at least personally, I think the other three have, have been better environments for, for, for game days. Yeah, I'd put, I'd put Michigan in my top three as well, not including Wisconsin because I haven't been there. But I'd, I'd put Michigan in my top three as well. I, I mean, I, I know I'm supposed to only say bad things about the big house, but I actually think the big house is pretty cool. Uh, and uh, I, I, think, yeah. I, I think Ann Arbor is pretty cool. So uh, I, know, I know that's not what you want to hear from me, but uh, I, I, do think, I do think Michigan uh, is a cool, and cool environment. You know, it, it, it doesn't it, – it, even though it's so big, it doesn't get as loud as a Penn State. And like like Colin said, I think that's because of the way it's built. It does it doesn't quite get as loud. It, it, there's also the fact that the only time we ever go there is for a noon game, so yeah. uh, people aren't as sauced up as they would be uh, for an eight o'clock game, which is what I've been to for Penn State and Nebraska. So that might be part of it as well. Uh, but that that would be my ranking of the ones I've been to. Would be Penn State, Nebraska, Michigan. Yeah, I'd probably, if I were ranking them, I'd go Penn State. And this is for Ohio State-Michigan games. If I was an Ohio State fan, here are the ones I'd want to go to. I'd go Penn State for a wideout, then I'd go Michigan, then I'd go Wisconsin, then I'd go Nebraska, and then I'd have a, a chasm between them, and then I'd probably say Iowa at five. Yeah, I'd agree with that as well. Uh, and I'd, I'd agree, too, I if in terms of games to go to. I mean, Ohio, it's hard not to put Ohio State-Michigan at the top of a list. Uh, regardless of which stadium it's at, because that's it's that's the game. So that's certainly the game. And if you're an Ohio State fan, uh, you you want to go to one way or the other. But I think you know just in terms of a road environment, Penn State would be at the top of my list. I do think Iowa is pretty cool. I mean, it's, especially with you know the hospital overlooking the stadium now and the wave there. I think that's a really cool tradition. So uh, I, I would put Iowa up there. I mean, if if we were going uh, bottom of the list here. 
Probably Rutgers. Yeah, Rutgers isn't fun. Northwestern's pretty bad. Um, wasn't necessarily a big fan of that one. Um, Maryland's pretty mediocre. Oh, oh, the Maryland experience. I still remember that my very first time going to Maryland was when I was a student reporter. I think it was 2016, if I remember. And I just remember we parked and we're walking over the stadium maybe two and a half hours before the game. Literally no noise. Nobody there. Nobody at all. And I was like, this, how is this team even in the Big Ten? Nobody cares about football. It was so sparsely attended. My only memory of that day at all, and I still remember that was probably the worst football game I've ever watched in my entire life. Um, just in terms of just it was a straight up beatdown. Um, but I remember just walking over the stadium and, and we were sort of in the middle of campus. And there's this guy. He he. I just looked over and... He's right in the middle of campus. He he grabs his champagne bottle, just downs it all, throws it in the trash can, walks in the library at 9.30 a.m. I'm like, all right, guess that's how they do it here in College Park. And that was that's literally my only memory I have of Maryland. Daniel did say in the comments uh, of the question that was asked, uh, he did say Maryland is good if you make a weekend of it and – Go to Washington for all the sites. I think I think that is the way. If you're going to do Maryland, do Maryland is is go and do other stuff while you're there. I don't. Uh, you're probably not going to see a great football game uh, because right now, uh, well, other than the last time Ohio State was there, when you know they couldn't stop anybody on defense, that turned out to be a pretty good game. But uh, most years, I don't think you're going to see a great football game. You're not going to get a great environment. Uh, but you are in an area where certainly, if you want to go to DC. Uh, there's certainly a lot to do there. Uh, that's probably the way to do it if you're going to make a trip out there. Yeah, that's 100% what you got to do. Another question we were asked this week by John Glore8287. Hopefully I'm saying that You right. nailed it. He said, if you had to be a fan of one Big Ten football team besides Ohio State, which team would you pick based on a football team's history and traditions, recent football success, academics location mascot stadium current head coach and uniforms that's a lot to consider that there. is uh you know i i think i i guess the way i would look at this and and i'll kind of look at it back to when i was a student uh coming out of high school and and decided to pick ohio state as a college i'll kind of look at it through that prism because that's the one that's most relatable to me right now and you know I, I picked Ohio State I did pick Ohio State you know even you know because I knew I wanted to do this as a sports journalist journalism major but I, I wanted to pick a school that was you know big sports school and had you know a big football uh, environment to cover and and so you know Ohio State you know in terms of Big Ten schools I think really stood out and I think you know, in terms of if you're if you're just picking a team to be interested in, uh, I think Ohio State really is in a league of its own in the Big Ten right now because I don't know if there's really any other team in the Big Ten that I'd look at and say you know they're likely to win a national championship anytime soon. Ohio State also has you know just going for it a, a lot of different things. I mean, you mentioned location; that would be a big one for me because. You know, I, I think my first thought would be, in response to the question, my first thought would be Penn State because I think Penn State, other than Ohio State, is the team that I'd look at and say they're probably the most likely to compete for a national championship in the near future. 
but then I think about the fact that they're they're located basically in the middle of nowhere, and and that makes them a little bit less appealing to me than an Ohio State that's located in the middle of a big city. So, you know, I I I I I, I that's probably would lead me against Penn State. You know, I think of. You know, see if you. I've, I've got my pick. I just want to see if you can end up on it. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, well, I was just I, I, like, I look at like a Wisconsin. I'm not picking Wisconsin because I think they'd be a really frustrating team to be a fan of because you know you're going to be good every year, but you know you're probably never going to get over that hump that you're just going to be the same kind of team every single year. Uh, I know I can't pick Michigan, so I'm not going to pick Michigan. The team I'm going to pick, and and. Truthfully, I, I don't know if this team can get back to being a championship contender again. But if you, in terms of be, in terms of their history, in terms of their location, in terms of a game day environment, talked about before, I'm gonna pick Nebraska because I think I think that is a team that's got a lot of history. I I think you know they're in a pretty cool city. They've got a, a cool stadium, really uh, dedicated fan base, great environment. So I I think for me. If there was a Big Ten team that I'd I'd want to be a fan of, other than Ohio State, I think Nebraska would be my top choice. That's reasonable. I think that'd probably be in my top half of choices. That wouldn't be my choice though. Um, if I'm just gonna pick, um, I think that I would have my. I I know you said you can't pick them, but I think one of my top two would be Michigan. Um, just in terms, I just of, don't. I just don't want to. I just don't want to get run out of eleven warriors for five. That's games. okay. That's okay. I mean, I'm doing the Nets' best thing. I'm saying, you know, I appreciate Michigan, but I'm not going to pick them. Which means that, hey, maybe I would pick them. But no, I. If I were a fan, I would want to be a fan of Michigan, knowing that I could. Knowing knowing that Michigan can become a, a national title contender again. Um, just they would need to move on from Jim Harbaugh, and I'm not sure who the Nets' coach would be. But I think that. If you if you want to look from a long term perspective, I think that Michigan would would be a solid pick here. But you know, I'm just gonna go with Wisconsin. I understand if I'm a fan of Wisconsin, I'm not winning a Natty in my lifetime. But that's okay because I live in a really cool city. Um, I it's it's a it's a it's a good school. Um, Bucky the Badger is cool. <laughs> Paul Chris is not cool, but that's okay because Paul Chris is a nice guy. Uh, I like their colors. I like their uniform. It's a great game day environment. I'll be a fan of Wisconsin. Give me the Badgers. Yeah, I I I respect it. I I think I think my opinions of Wisconsin have been slanted by nearly falling asleep during Paul Christ Big Ten Championship <laughs> game press conferences. I, okay. Yeah, the current head coach thing. When I got to that part, I was like, "Whew, this one's gonna be tough." And then and I, I remember jump around pretty that, cool. Yeah. And I don't mean that to be mean to Paul Chris. He's 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 a good coach. He's, he is he's a good had, coach. Yeah, he's been very consistently successful there. Wisconsin has a style that they have stuck to for a long time, and Paul Chris is very good at executing that style. Like Colin said, he is a nice guy, uh, but just not a. I don't think anyone is picking Wisconsin because of who the head coach is. You know, I, I you know I think. You know, I think you know if you think of like Nick Saban at Alabama. There's people who would become an Alabama fan because of Nick Saban. There's people who would become an LSU fan because of 
Ed Orgeron. Again, I know this is not what you guys want to hear, but there's people who become a Clemson fan because of Dabo Sweeney. I don't think anybody's becoming a Wisconsin fan because of Paul Crist. No, no, and and that would include me. But in this scenario, <laughs> he is he is the sacrifice I would have to make. I mean, listen, when I was telling you my second option, my second option is Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> so, like, if we're going to compare coaches, I, I was riding the Jim Harbaugh train probably longer than I should have, as in a guy who I think could win a national championship. I no longer think that. I don't think he's the right guy for Michigan. I'm sure Ohio State fans really want him to stay on as long as possible, and now I get it because I don't think he's the guy there. But, listen, I, if I'm if I'm a Wisconsin fan, I don't expect a national championship. I just want to have fun, and that is a good place to have fun in. That's very valid. And again, I have not been to Wisconsin, so if I have been if I had been to Wisconsin, maybe that would be my pick as well cuz I could tell Colin enjoyed his his experience that he Madison's, had in Madison. Madison's great. I recommend it. Colin is Colin is just disappointed that you didn't let him pick a Big 12 team so that he could he could talk about his love of the West Virginia Mountaineers. Yeah, I mean, they would be my pick. <laughs> what do you want? I, that would also be a negative on Paul Christ because he has coached Pitt for three seasons. My 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 Big Twelve pick would be Texas because uh, well, actually when I when I was a when I was a kid I had a Texas fan phase that did directly correlate with Vince Young being Texas's quarterback. But uh, Texas would be my pick. Yeah, I mean, if I was objective, I would say if we we're doing this for the Big Twelve, Texas is the answer. You can't pick anyone else other than Texas. Got a got a ride, got a ride for that WVU though, right, Colin? Exactly. Well, thanks again for joining us, guys, on another quarantine episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed hearing us talk about some Ohio State sports. And again, if there's anything you guys want to hear us talk about or or questions you you want us to answer, uh, we've got time, so we do want to do our best to provide an entertaining podcast and talk about things that you guys want to hear us talk about. So thanks again for listening in this week and we'll talk to you guys again next week.